So good morning, everyone. Uh, as you've just been told, I'm Scott. I'm the associate pastor here. And my main role is to oversee the pastoral life of Reading Family Church. And today, I just want to be able to talk into that about what that looks like here at RFC. But friends, before I get there, what a week we've had. What a week we've had. From the first news of the medics being gravely concerned and of the members of the royal family flying to Scotland, to the swift announcement of the death of Queen Elizabeth II. Then yesterday, I watched the proclamation and the declaration of King Charles III. It's all happened so quick, I think Janet referenced it, 48 hours. Wow, how quick it's happened. We've been caught up in a unique moment in history. In fact, the moment we find ourselves in is one that sees our nation and maybe even many of us feeling uneasy, uncertain, and maybe even a bit fearful. Our confidence in good health has been rocked by the pandemic over these years. Our confidence in peace, particularly in Europe, has been ended with the continued war in Ukraine. Even our ability to eat, uh, heat our homes and use all our technology, which take, we've taken for granted for many, many years, becomes an issue for many, may become an issue for many of us. And then the comfort we can take from bank balances is being challenged yet again. Much of what we have trusted and taken for granted in the West is now being challenged. Against that backdrop, the constant of the past 70 years, when things have gone bad, when things have been good, where she stood and she's made comments, the Queen has now gone as well. Her Majesty, the Queen, has died. In fact, one reporter put it like this. In bewildering days like these, the UK would instinctively look to its Queen for reassurance. But this time... With the nation facing hard economic challenges amid constitutional and political upheaval, there is no calming presence from Her Majesty. That was Mark Easton on the BBC. We're left in the UK with the aftermath and even a vague current reality of COVID, a war, a cost of living crisis, a new prime minister and a government that is new as well, and a new king. This is without taking into account any prejudice you may experience regarding the color of your skin, your sex, your age, any disability you may have, or just the background you are from. Any one of those things is destabilizing enough to cause uncertainty. All added together leaves us consciously or subconsciously feeling uncertain, uneasy, and maybe even fearful. Just take a breath. I just want to paint a picture for you of what we're facing. Because this is where I am so pleased that I am part of a church family. A community that understands that actually, as much as we are born in certain nations at certain times, we are all sheep in a flock that spans all ages, all peoples, and all nations. We are part of the flock of Jesus Christ. As such, we get to learn from him what it is to love and care for one another, especially in moments like this. What is it to be a church family? Friends, it was only a little over a year ago that we started to talk about Jesus gathering the sheep back in off the hills, 
back into in-person meetings. Now we feel Jesus is leading us on again by jumping to two meetings to make room for new sheep and the sheep that are lost who are going to be found and brought into our fold. But for us to gather new people in against the background of, what, background of what we're facing, we want them gathered into a church family that is working out what it is to live for Jesus together, caring for each other in these times in which we live. So what does it look like? I'm going to mention three things. I'm going to think, what does it look like for us? What are the structures we got in place as a church? And who is the one that is leading us? So firstly, let me pray before I get there. Father, in moments like this, we're so aware that we need you. Not one of us in this room could have just let it just pass us by over this past week. Whatever it's invoked in us, we know we've had to come on our knees to you and speak to you. And there it is, Lord. We're so delighted that we can do that. I pray this morning as I speak that your Holy Spirit would move across this place. That we'd know how each one of us gets to play our part that we'd see how we can love and care for one another in these times and that we'd be made fully aware again of our Lord, our Saviour, our great King, Jesus Christ. Help us in all of these things. Help me as I speak, Lord, to convey what you've given to me. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So this first bit I've just called one anothering. One anothering. If you've been on the membership course You'll know what that means. If you've not been on a membership course yet, we'll be running one of those again soon. It'll be great for you to come on that. But over the years, I've pastored many people. And one of the things I've regularly found myself reminding them of is that Reading Family Church is not an institution. Neither is it the elders and the deacons. No, RFC is all of us. Look around you. This church is made up of individuals who are brothers and sisters, who if you have made this church your home, you are the church called RFC. I am one of those people. I am not RFC. Why do I say this? Because we see in the New Testament that it's not, no longer priests who do all the pastoring. No, now we are a royal priesthood of believers. We all get to take our place and have a responsibility in this. I don't know if you remember back in the book of Genesis, but Cain made a flippant comment to God. When God asked him where Abel was, he said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? The emphatic answer of the New Testament, friends, is yes. You are your brother's keeper. And sisters, I know, I get it. You are your brother and sister's keepers. When you think of what a shepherd does, he helps the sheep who stray from the path. He goes after them. He picks them up. He takes them up in his arms or he puts them on his shoulders and he carries them back to the safe place. Listen to what's read in Galatians 6. You'll be able to read it on the screen as well. When Paul writes, To the church... If anyone is caught in any transgressions, you who are spiritual, i.e. those who are following after Jesus, should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. 
What we hear in this is that we have a responsibility as brothers and sisters. It doesn't say elders, if anyone is caught in a transgression. It says brothers, brothers and sisters. Don't rely on Andy McCulloch, Sean, David doing all the heavy lifting on this stuff. We have been called to pastor one another, to love one another. What we hear in this is we have a responsibility to put our arms under a sister or a brother and carry them back to the safe place of the flock, to bring them back to Jesus and his teaching. The same responsibility pointed out in James 5, verse 19. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings them back, not the elders or anything else, it's it's someone, it could be any one of you. We have a responsibility to one another, one another. And, And you might think, well, what does that look like? Well, there's plenty of places in the New Testament I could have gone to this morning just to point out where we're given wisdom and advice how to do this as individuals, as a church. But I've taken Colossians verses three, uh, chapter 3, verses 12 to 14, just to highlight some ways we can be thinking about this. Paul writes, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, if one has a complaint against another, Forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. There's more in that passage. I just thought I'd stop there. If you read through Paul's letters or Peter's letters, you will find out what it is to know how to handle each other well, how to love and care for each other well. But here we see that we put on it's not something that we just zap, we, we get zapped with. We have to make a decision. We have to make a choice towards our brothers and sisters. We have to put on compassion. We have to put on kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. How many of you in the room can put your hand up wholeheartedly and say, that is naturally me? We know that's not true. We have to choose it. With the person sitting next to you right now, you have to choose that. Paul goes on. Uh, Before I get there, actually, compassion and kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, these are all traits of a shepherd. Someone who knows uh, these sheep are my life, they are my joy. They are who I will protect from wolves and thieves from my own life. I've been reading a great book. Liz put me onto it, The Good Shepherd by by Kenneth Bailey. Just reading there what Middle Eastern shepherds are about. These things, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, that's what marks out a shepherd. And that's what Paul is calling us to, shepherding. Paul goes on, we are to bear with one another, to forgive one another. And it's phrases like this where we get the terminology of one anothering. It's dotted all over the letters. But in these ones, to bear with one another, it's, it, the Bible says it's to a man's glory to overlook an offense. This is bearing with one another. Some of us need to get much better at this. I know I do. The very nature of us as people is that people don't think, talk, or act the same way as we do. 
it doesn't mean we've got it right. So we do have to bear with people who are different to us, who convey their opinions in a different way to us. They may even have a different opinion to us. We need to bear with them. Not cancel them, that's what culture does, bear. The truth is, wherever you find yourself on a given day, someone walks into your life, they are not going to know the context of your day. They're going to not know the argument you've had or the frustration with your child or the fact that your job's not going so well or whatever it might be. They are stumbling into you and they may make a mistake. In that moment, you get the opportunity to overlook an offense. To bear with someone. It's just a, it's one example of how we can pass to one another well. Particularly at the times that we're finding ourselves in right now. Paul calls us to love in this passage. Ultimately, this is what is needed to shepherd. The love that puts arms under and says, I'll carry you for a while. I'll bear with you and I'll forgive you when you hurt me. You know, hurting people hurt people, right? That's a great phrase Sean taught me years ago. Hurting people hurt people. We as brothers and sisters get to receive some of that hurt sometimes. To take it on the chin. And to forgive when it really penetrates us. So that we can carry a brother or sister back to the flock. To find them back under the love, the care, the teaching of Jesus Christ. That's very briefly what we can be doing in one another. If you want to know more, read your Bible, read the New Testament, read the letters of Paul and Peter and John. They will, they will advise you and keep you up to date with how you can be doing in that. But of course, it can't just stop there. We are a community. We need to be shepherds in a community. There are shepherds in this community. We are called to live in community as a family, brothers and sisters. But we all know that in family, there are parents. Parents who put in boundaries and bring in leadership to the family. And the way we are here at Reading Family Church, we have fathers who are, put, who are happy to put in systems and structures to help the family flourish as they work out their own individual responsibilities. Jesus has raised up gifts to the church who are elders or pastors as we call them here. And we'll be more of that in a couple of weeks' time when Sean speaks on that. But just to say here, we are clear that it is Jesus who appoints elders as under-shepherds of his flock. This is just as he has done since way back when, when he instituted the people of God. Back in the Old Testament, we see people like Moses and David called shepherds of his people. But if we think about Moses just for a moment, we realize that Moses didn't do it alone. He needed to put a structure in place that meant that he didn't reach burnout, yes. But more importantly, that God's people were shepherded, led, and pastored well. There's a story in Exodus 18 which shows us how that all came about. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, obviously the easiest person for him to take advice from, <laughs> visits the family and he sees that Moses is literally sitting from morning until late evening, hearing everyone's disputes, and, was making, and he was having to make all the judgments, trying to hold in his own head all the law and all the statutes, and do everything that was asked of. He was making uh, decisions 
regarding people's lives. Day in, day out, morning till evening, he did it on his own. Jethro looks at this and he says, you are crazy. What are you doing? Now, I know myself that I've got a pastoral heart and I want to sit and I want to hear people. I want to point them back to Jesus and, and I just want to help them do all that I can do. But I'm one man and I can't do it all. So Jethro says to Moses that he has got to stop this. You can't keep going like this. And he, and he says this. 19. I should have put my reading glasses on. They're in my bag and I forgot to get them out. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice and God be with you. This is his father-in-law. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. And you shall want them, uh, warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. So he's not telling them, don't do, this is still your call. This is still what you're supposed to be doing. Moreover, look for able men from all, over, from all the people, men who, are, who fear God, who are trustworthy and, have a, uh, and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure, and all his people, all this people also will go to their place in peace. Jethro gave some very wise advice. So Moses did organize himself and the people in order for people to be loved and cared for, shepherded well. And we likewise here at Reading Family Church have organized ourselves. As elders, we can't do it all, so we have some things that help us. We've got RFC3s. There should be a list of things going up, I think. We've got RFC3s. Groups of three or four that read the Bible together throughout the week and send comments to each other. These groups encourage us to be in the Word of God and to consider what it is, uh, to, uh, what it is saying to us on a daily basis. So we're not just reading, we're trying to think, what is God saying to us? They also have the benefit of becoming smaller groups within church life that you end up praying with and for. So if you're not yet in a three, you'd like to be in one, then please contact the church office where Catherine will get you connected up or maybe speak to your life group leader, come into that in a moment, and they may be able to get you connected up. So that's threes. That's one way we're organizing ourselves for pastoral care. Another way we're doing this is life groups. As it happens... Our new life group system opens today. I got my first alert early this morning that someone had signed up to my group. So well done, that person who had got in before the buzzer. Very good. And they signed up, so we signed up today. And, and we would call you, please be part of a life group at Reading Family Church. After the meeting, Catherine's going to be out just around the corner from the tea and coffee area. Uh, if you want to have any more information about how life groups works, then she's going to be there for you to talk to her. But just to say this, our life groups are there to bring connection, family, and discipleship. Just as Moses organized himself into smaller groups, we do the same. So that you can get to know the people in your group and form relationships and friendships across church life. They are the first port of call when it comes to pastoral issues. 
And your life group leaders are people recognized by the elders as being people who you can pray with and who will help you process life in line with the teachings of Jesus as best they understand them. They're not supposed to know it all, your life group leaders. They are amazing people who have put their hand up and said, we will be under shepherds, shepherds of the help shepherd this flock in this time. So lose your job, having a baby, having relational issues, you may well want to speak to your life group leader and check in with them and have a conversation. Please get signed up to a life group this term if you want to plug into our church pastorally. However, they may not be able to offer all the help that you need because of time or simply not knowing what to do. So they may well refer you to the pastoral care team. Yes, we have a pastoral care team at Reading Family Church. And it's currently a small team of excellent people who are available to listen and pray and hear you. And they're not there to judge you. Just to pray and to listen. People like David and Bola, Ian and Judy, Mick and Mary, Catherine, Sarah Rook, B, myself, Liz, Sean, Helen, Putley, Lucy Thomas, amongst many others, or well, a few others, are all part of that team amongst Uh, who are there to serve you in this way. We're not counselors, but we are those who will point you back to the teachings of Jesus and encourage you in your walk with him in the place where you'll find yourself in life right now. Now, I say small right now. We are looking to expand the team. So on Monday, the 3rd of October, we are running a pastoral care taster evening at the church. It sounds very grand, doesn't it? At the church office. We'll be looking at what pastoral care looks like here at the church. And we'll be inviting people to join the wider team after this. Life Groups is not the only way where you can access help through the pastoral care team. There's an email you can contact. And you can contact me personally or Catherine um, on pastoral at readingfamilychurch.org.uk. That gets seen by me and Catherine, nobody else. If you send in an email to that, it's only me and Catherine that will see that. And so just if you're thinking, I don't know who to go to, but I don't really just want to go to a faceless, I don't know what that email goes to. It goes to me and Catherine. And so if you are struggling, you don't know who to talk to, please contact us on that. Or just call. Just call the church office, call me. Speak to someone you trust. They may be able to help you, point you in the right direction, or even come with you to have that conversation. So that's the pastoral care team. We've also got just two shorter ones. We've got a safeguarding team um, at the church. Safeguarding is particularly centered around children, vulnerable adults, and youth. Uh, And just to say we take this very seriously, we've often got one or two things going on in the background, and we're always looking to what the best guidance is from statutory authorities to help us stay in line and keep the flock safe here in the way that the UK understands that. Um, So we we take that very seriously. And we also have a fellowship fund. We also have a fellowship fund that enables us to bring some support to those who may be struggling financially. If this is you, then either come and see me. If you're struggling financially, come and see me or one of the other elders. Please be assured that if the cost of living crisis keeps going up, that we will be considering a hardship fund. If that keeps going, we'll be looking like we did with COVID. We'll put something in place where the haves can give to the have-nots and provide for their need. We will be doing that. But can I just say, though, that I often get to hear of the support that people are receiving from others in the church financially. We get the little snippets. We get the little stories. And every time we hear it as elders, it's like, wow, we so love the generous nature of our church 
It's remarkable because it does show this generous people that we're trying to be. Who don't, we don't think that when we've given our tithe, that that's it, we've done our bit. And now if something happens in church life, the church centrally deals with that. No, we, give, we give our money to Jesus generously. We say, no, we'll give that proportion to the church. But then if other needs arise, we as a people say, and we will service those needs as they arise as well. We're not expecting central church to deal with everything. All of these things that I've just mentioned are in place as a community to bring love and support and care to this flock of Jesus' sheep. To partner with and to bring shape to the one anothering that we so know is already happening across the church. But friends, we are clear at RFC that Jesus... Jesus is the shepherd of this flock. He is the shepherd. In John 10, 1 to 5 and 4 to 16, he calls himself the good shepherd. I just want to read it to you. These are fantastic verses. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them on. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Okay, Jesus, who are you? I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I may bring, must bring them in also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Jesus is the good shepherd. He is the voice we are listening to. We are clear he is the shepherd of this flock. When we consider Psalm 23, we know that it is Jesus is the one who is leading us to still waters. It is he who causes us to lay down in green pastures as a people where there is peace and food and rest knowing his protection. He is the one that is there in the midst of the valley, leading us with his rod and his staff, preparing tables in the midst of our enemies. It is Jesus. He is the good shepherd. As the good shepherd, he was willing to lay down his life for his sheep, that we would be protected and saved from sin, the devil, and death. His are the everlasting arms which uphold us. It is him who carries us and holds us and tends to our wounds, often through the under-shepherds and the brothers and sisters that he has put around us. It's him. It is Jesus who shows us how, how to love and care for one another. And it is his who inspired the letters of the New Testament where we continue to find out how to live life as community together. It's Jesus, the good shepherd. 
Friends, I started with the uneasiness, the uncertainty of life in the UK right now. But we have a shepherd who gives us certainty and gives us the hope that we need. The Bible says that we have not been given a spirit of fear, but but the Holy Spirit, a spirit of sonship. He is the one whose government knows no end. Liz Truss is here, she will go. Jesus will never go. His government knows no end. He is the constant. He is the prince of peace. Because we know him, we can know peace that transcends all understanding. It is our friends that should be looking at us and saying, how do you have such peace? There's so much turmoil in the country. Because we know the good shepherd. He is the one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He is Jehovah Jireh, our provider. It is in Jesus we trust, friends. As the King of kings and the Lord of lords, our good and faithful shepherd. Maybe you've experienced the love and the support of people in this church. Maybe you've experienced the love and care of the elders through one of the particular ways that we've put in place, or even personally. But you wouldn't say yet this morning that you are a Christian. You enjoy being around church, you belong to us, but you're not yet following the Good Shepherd. Friends, can I just tell you, all that care and love that you've experienced is because of Jesus. It's not just because we're nice people. The queen served as she served because she knew one greater than herself who led her as, lo- as far as we're led to believe. Friends, if you, don't yet, if you wouldn't yet call yourself a Christian, can I urge you, follow the good shepherd. Follow the good shepherd. If you want to know how to do that, then come see Sean. Or if you know David, David could just give a wave. Come and see David or Liz or one of us you've seen at the front. We'll help you out. Talk to the person you've come with or introduced you to the church. You need to know him. As I land today, friends, it is Jesus who leads this community. I want us to be really clear on that. And as much as he led us to gather everyone back up again, he is now leading us to look after and care for one another. And he's taking us in a, in a moment, in a few, four weeks' time, to jump to four that pastorally, where we get to do more pastoring and caring for one another, where we get to serve one another, to choose one anothering over ourselves, because the king, because our shepherd is leading us to a new pasture and saying, make room for those who aren't yet here yet, for those who will be saved and added to your community. And on that journey, friends, let's be those who pastor and look out for one another. Amen? I'm going to pray. And then we've got one more last thing to do. So, Father, I want to thank you for your goodness, your kindness, your love, your compassion. I want to thank you as we come this morning as a body of people, as a community, as a family, that we come knowing the Good Shepherd. Knowing that as much as life is changing in the UK beyond recognition, that the constants that we once knew have now been rocked and are no longer there. That we come to the one who is constant, who is unchanging, who is everlasting, who is the same yesterday, today and forever, whose government is going to know no end, who is the Prince of Peace. We come to you with confidence, with hope and with faith, knowing the love and the care of your son Jesus Christ and you, Father, in heaven. And we know all this by the power of your Holy Spirit. I pray, would you send us out? 
from here today knowing again that you are at work amongst your people and in this nation and the nations of the world. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.